All right. Thanks for coming back to Marky Mark and the Fitness Bunch. Today we are here with Jessica Sertikoff. Jessica, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do in the dietetic world? Hey, Mark. Uh, so first of all, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Pleasure. I'm excited too. This is going to be great. Yeah. Uh, so I am a registered dietitian in the United States uh, in good old New Jersey. And I've been practicing for about six years. I split my time between working in the community setting as a dietitian, where I do a lot of counseling with nutrition clients, mostly in an intuitive eating approach. And then I also work with my fellow dietitians on helping them kind of shed their stress and build up their confidence as counseling dietitians so that they can start to really take ownership of their life as a dietitian and their careers. That's amazing. And I'm sure as we go on this episode, you, the value of your services will be become more and more clear, especially the main talking points that we're going with. Yeah, I think we're, uh, we're definitely going to be getting into it. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, the focus of this is that we're basically talking about the journey of a dietitian and also some of the the major complaints, or not complaints, but let's say concerns. issues that, yeah, concerns, whatever, whatever negative syllable, <laughs> synonym you want to use, um, just kind of like what's some issues with the field, uh, maybe some ideas on how to resolve them, and kind of like the main things that need to be addressed in the field for the field to move forward. So. Yeah, so, so I think we're going to kind of start through the education process and, and kind of the growing pains that we're experiencing as a profession. For sure. And as we do that, the first thing I want to mention as well is that uh, half my audience is Canadian, half is American. So I have done the dietetic education process in Canada. Uh, I'm not a dietitian, but I'm familiar with the education process and also collaborate with many dietitians. And the reason that I'm mentioning this is not just to talk about my certs and degrees and whatnot, but also just that if there is anything that she's talking about that does not necessarily relate to the Canadian system, that I'll just kind of interject and kind of make that very clear on like what the issues are in Canada compared to the US. Although we did discuss this a little bit before and the, the issues are pretty similar. So I don't think there'll be too much interrupting on my part. Yeah, and I'm always so fascinated to learn about dietitians from other countries and how they practice and, and what requirements it took to get to where they are. So I love hearing about that too. Yeah, for sure. Let's get into it. So let's talk about the education process right now. So most people, you know, they finished high school. Some actually come in with a degree already, myself included, which is pretty common. And can you tell us a little bit about kind of how the degree goes? Let's start with undergrad and we can kind of approach master's once we get there. Sure. So it is changing a little bit in the United States right now, but currently how it works is you get your undergraduate in nutrition, nutritional sciences, nutrition and dietetics. Each program is slightly different with how they approach it, but the core is going to be your basic nutrition sciences. Uh, you're going to take some science classes, biology, chemistry, anatomy, physiology, and you're going to be going into a little bit of lifestyle nutrition and counseling techniques and public health to get a really high level understanding of what it takes to be a dietitian. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to mention as well as like, as a person who's gone through the degree myself, it's, you have to be very well-rounded. And I think it's kind of undervalued how well-rounded dietitians have to be, yeah. where it's almost like the combination of a science degree and a social science degree in yes. the same where 
you still have labs, you still have many tests, but you also have many assignments and you also have many essays. And it yeah. really is, um, as opposed to like a program that might have a lot of big things that are worth a lot. Uh, the dietetic program is very, a lot of small things that are worth very little, but are very time consuming. So even though it's only worth 5%, it will take a long time to complete. And so it's, it's definitely not a program that I would say it was harder than my kinesiology program if I was to compare the two. That's in terms, it is hard. In, term, in terms of, definitely in terms of work ethic, I think uh, kind of depending on your abilities with essays, essays and presentations, maybe it was harder in that sense, but it was definitely, you know, it was always a lot of work and there was always something due and it's definitely not an easy degree to just coast. No, and the way that I look at the undergraduate part of your journey as a dietitian is that it's really laying the foundation. And so you don't really learn how to be a dietitian in your undergraduate career. You're getting these little pieces of the puzzle that you'll be able to apply later on in future sections that you go into, but the undergraduate itself is really, really foundational. Um, and so you're almost stretched thin because you have to be good at communication. You have to be good at the sciences. Although I say that not to scare people away because I didn't think that I was good at sciences and I pulled through just fine. Uh, so I don't want this to be a, a fear mongering thing uh, for anybody, but you have to be good. You do cooking labs and food science. You do education, you learn teaching techniques. So it's, it's very, very diverse, the skills that you're going to be learning in your undergraduate. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's very funny, a sense where you'll learn, you know, uh, the process of also learn how to make just a really good quiche. Like it's a really yep. weird program. <laughs> in that sense where it's so well, it's, it's like, kind. it's really funny when you look at like the skill set of a dietitian that you learn in their undergraduate degree right. as well. But it, uh, it is a lot of work for sure. And it's also, I would say, is very competitive in a sense where, especially if you have an internship integrated into your program. And can you tell us a little bit more on like what that means of being integrated? So I, that might be where Canada and US differ. Uh, oh, okay. Under, okay. The undergraduate for us does not include an internship piece. Maybe there are some programs, but the ones that I'm familiar with for undergraduate in the US don't. Our internship is separate and something that we do after we obtain our bachelor's. Okay, so uh, this is actually, this is very interesting, actually, because we have that as well in Canada, but we also have some where it is integrated. Now, when I say it's integrated, it is integrated by competition, so which makes it a very interesting learning experience, because what that means is, and this is not all uh, universities in Canada, this is actually only some universities, where you can actually compete for a spot to get your undergraduate internship in the undergraduate degree. Okay. So, but what that means is, is that you're essentially competing against all your friends for a select few spots. And so things, and it kind of like almost heightens the, the type A personalities that tend to exist in dietetics. Yeah. That's because now it's, now it's not only you have to be good enough to get the internship after university, you also have to be better than your other friends who are also type A and also want to get an internship and they all want to get it before they graduate just to like ease that burden of the idea of getting the internship because so, for anybody who doesn't know sorry go ahead okay so the this undergraduate internship that happens in some universities in Canada does it is it in addition to the dietetic internship that you have to do afterwards or is it instead no. of 
This is instead of. Okay, so you can actually do it simultaneously. Yes. Okay. Uh, what I would say as well is that it does require essentially an additional year of schooling. Okay. So it's not like do this instead of courses. It's do the courses and then the university will set you up with internships after you're done your, your classes. Okay, so it's almost like a just more guaranteed spot. Like you get a head start in securing your position in an internship. Yeah, okay. yeah, for the most part. And uh, it's still very competitive, I would say. Like, sure. Uh, um, you know, I don't want to... The general acceptance rate is about 30 to 45%, depending on the year. That's right. So it's still like you're competing. And even though it's just like a smaller pool, there's usually like, you know, less competition than the country per se, but less, but also less, um, less spots. Okay. So it, it works out to about as competitive. Okay. And that's... I think the one thing that focuses well, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's also a big part as well is that it really does add to the stress of the university course as is. Absolutely. And it also adds to the stress of volunteering and having, you know, work experience and especially for the internship is you almost like weirdly need the internship experience to get the internship experience. Okay. Like it's similar it's kind of here. This... They want to see a lot of volunteer experience or they want to see you have some sort of dietetics related job before you get your internship. For sure. And I think that it's, it's a very interesting requirement in the sense that to get your internship, you almost had to have needed to have done an internship beforehand where like to get the, it's, it's, it's very, the classical millennial problem, need experience to get experience problem. Yeah. I think that's with most positions is getting started takes a little bit of creativity and confidence and spinning your experiences in the right way to catch the attention of whoever is reading your application. Need a very carefully worded resume is essentially the, which I think is also very interesting as well, but for the internship process itself. So the education we kind of talked about, that is quite a grind, but you can do your undergraduate. I do want to mention that in Canada, the master's program is going to become mandatory. I believe it's in the next five-ish years. You know, it's, it's, I think it's about five-ish years. I would need to confirm that for sure. But that will become a requirement. I don't know. Has it already become a requirement in the States? No. So it is, I believe, a requirement for the graduating class of 2024, which is starting school in the fall of this year. So so new dietitians, like new uh, dietetic students need to be worried about this. I believe so. And by worried, not so much because it's really more the pressure of the schools and the internships to figure out how they're going to accommodate this new requirement. And there are some new, um, I don't want to say accreditation requirements, but they're piloting a few programs right now that have a different approach to the curriculum for undergraduate and your internship and everything to try to adjust to the evolution of the role of a dietitian because it's changing so much from what it was 10, 20, 50 years ago that they're recognizing that they need to change the way they're educating our future professionals. Yeah, for sure. You know, it used to be pretty much just clinical as far as I can tell if we go back far enough that it was just like essentially, and now I think clinical is one in every two dietitians. So at all. And they've come out and said that there is a gap between the education and the expectations of 
employers of dietitians and colleagues and coworkers that we need to step up our interdisciplinary collaborations, our communications, our business acumen, our confidence and leadership skills, all of these things that are not currently addressed in the traditional curriculum, we're starting to recognize as an organization that we need to be shifting. Yeah. So to be clear, it's already a pretty hard degree and it <laughs> doesn't even prepare you for what you need. I, I think that I, it's easy to get negative about the education. I get a lot of students and new dietitians that come to me feeling very frustrated. And the one thing that I always remind them is you cannot be in school for the rest of your life. And you cannot get everything that you need to know about being a dietitian in school. So if we shift to this new approach and we do put a bigger emphasis on leadership and communication and business and some of these topics that aren't getting very much attention, there's going to be something else that has to fall out a little bit. And then you're going to have to and take it on yourself to learn about that on your own too. That's what continuing education is for. Yeah, and dietetics is pretty big on that as well as continual learning, especially for a field like nutrition that is definitely right. still still evolving. It's a very new field when you compare it to chemistry, physics, bio. Like those have been around for you know ten thousand years. Nutrition is at best two hundred, two fifty. So course. for so for a very new field, it to- it completely makes sense to be continuing to educate. And let's I think talk it, a little bit. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I was gonna say let's talk a little bit about the internship as well, like kind sure. of how that works. Uh, For you guys, is it one big internship or is it three small ones like it is in Canada? Three small. It's one. It's one program. Um, I mean, there are dozens of different programs across the country, but it goes through an accreditation process to be a dietetic internship and they hold different number of spots. There's some internships that have one spot. They take one intern per year. There are some that take 80. So, okay. So very, very broad. They're very different, um, but they're all accredited with the same core competencies. So you can rest assured that it it doesn't really matter where you get your internship. It's more important to get one unless you have a very specific specialty that you are very passionate about getting. Uh, For the most part, you just want to get one that works for you, your budget, your time frame, and that you feel like you have a good shot at getting into. For sure. And I, and for here, I want to clarify, there is, uh, after university is one big internship. Uh, if you get one in university, it is three small ones. Oh, okay. But the amount of hours is, well, it's 1300 hours. It's still the same amount of okay. hours needed. And I kind of want to talk about it as well is that in the States, it is also unpaid, correct? Yes. And this is where this gets <laughs> very interesting because I've had friends who have recently gone through it and also friends who are done it now. And it's a very tough spot because the internships are full time. So it's very difficult. Well, one, you're not supposed to get another job. Right. Which, they is, very discourage inter- it. which is very interesting because uh, I don't know about you, but I can't go to my landlord and tell them I'm on an internship so I can't pay rent. Yeah. And it's a very tough line for a lot of people who want to get into the fields who simply can't just because, you know, you're working 40 hours a week, maybe you don't have the time to get a job on top of that, or that's, yeah, you don't have the, yeah, don't have the time. And it's a very tough roadblock for a lot of people who want to get into the field if you just don't have that luxury. And that could be because you have 
a child or a family to feed as well. Or, uh-huh. you know, or not even, we don't have to go that far. It's just, you know, you have rent and bills to pay and you don't live at home. And it's, it's a real setback for a lot of people. Yes. I think that it's something that I didn't fully recognize when I was in school because I come from a privileged background and I was fortunate enough to have my parents support. So I lived at home with them during my internship. And so I didn't pay rent. I didn't pay for groceries and I was able to go through it um, without too much hardship. But I know that I'm probably in the minority for sure of people who have been that fortunate. And I work with a lot of dietetic students, nutrition students, and dietitians who really struggled with it. And it also becomes a limiting factor to diversify our field, which is a problem. For sure. It really comes down to dietetics is very big on talking about diversity and talking about helping lower socioeconomic status. And this was actually a concern I brought up in while I was in the group, in the degree, which was not taken super well at the time that, you know, we always talk about helping lower socioeconomic status people, but we haven't really given them a path to enter the field. So it's one of the things that like, we talk the big talk. We do. But, but when it comes down to like actually doing something, it's unfortunately has not been, in my opinion, has not been seen or not in a real way. I think that we have a really good opportunity right now to take the just talking about it and make real changes to open up the opportunities for people. So our field, I don't know if the statistics are the same in Canada, but in the US, I believe we are 95% female and 80 to 90% white. It's pretty equivalent here. Yeah, it's, it's a big problem because first of all, you're not getting a diverse group of people and with diverse populations, you get diverse perspectives and better ability to connect with the individuals you're serving. And it becomes an issue when we're limited by our own experiences and we are making it more and more challenging for different people to be able to access the educational requirements it takes to become a dietitian. For sure. And it, and that's very interesting because they're discussed all the time. Like in the program, food insecurity is a huge topic. In Canada, we talk a lot about Aboriginal communities and kind of how they're, they don't have the water and food resources that, or a lot of them don't. I don't want to, some communities are doing better than others, but some also really could use the help. But we haven't really created a system where if someone from like a lower economic status wanted to be a dietitian, it's not really a viable option. It's difficult. And I don't necessarily have an easy answer for how to address it because I understand where the organizations are coming from wanting to require the master's, wanting to have the internship and have it be as rigorous as it is. I do get where they're coming from. But at the same time, I think that we need to be really aware of the unintended consequences that are going to happen when we start to increase these requirements. For sure. Yeah. More schooling will mean more money down to become a dietitian, which will just further the gap of like who can actually become a dietitian. So it'll almost, unfortunately, like I get that you want them to be educated and qualified. I almost have the mentality that getting them into the field sooner would almost be better. Yes. Because I just have so many universities, friends who just, they leave their degree and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And to me, you were saying like the, you know, I, 
most of my friends who are dietitians now, like I learned more in the first four months of being a dietitian than I learned in the whole degree. Well, it's almost, I don't know what it's like to become a therapist in Canada, but the way that it works, at least with most states in the United States, is you have to go through your degree and then you are eligible to become an associate therapist. And you sit and you work underneath a licensed practitioner and you accrue hours and you get paid for those hours. And once you've accrued, I think it's like 6,000 hours. It's a long time. It's several years of work then you can sit and become a licensed independent counselor on your own. And I think that that has a lot of opportunity for the dietetics field because I absolutely learned how to become a dietitian by being a dietitian. I needed the school lessons, but it wasn't until I got into the field that I really started to hone my technique and become a really um, kind of well-versed in counseling and the other areas of my job. Yeah, no, and I think that's, you know, I have a lot of friends who also agree with you on that, that that was the place where they learned. Yep. And so, you know, if we can get them onto the internship faster, if we can get them, you know, less in the classroom and more in the actual field. I think a lot of people just learn by doing. And I think the the classroom model just doesn't work for a job that is so incorporated with people and so incorporated yes. in communities that I don't think giving them another test regardless of if the knowledge is valuable, really helps that. Of course. And I think that there's also something to consider. I heard another dietitian talking about this, and she was spot on saying that so many dietitians have um, a fear of charging what they're worth. So they tend to want to work for free or feel guilty for asking for raises or things like that. So many dietitians overschedule themselves and overwork themselves. And a lot of it stems from the fact that we've been taught through our education that we have to stretch ourselves thin because we have to compete for these competitive internships. We have to take on all of these high course load work. We have to work for free during the internship for 40 hours a week plus school time. And by the time we get to the field, we are so kind of, it's been ironed into us, nailed into us that we should be working ourselves into the ground and we shouldn't expect decent compensation for it. For sure. And also it's really one of those things that if you've been working for free, if someone offers you $18 an hour, well, that's an $18 raise. Yep. Which in a regular working circumstance would be amazing because that'd be such a raise bonus. So now it's the idea, but also if you're a dietitian who works $18 an hour, like that would be terrible. That would be so much lower than what you're actually worth. So it, exactly, it becomes an issue of while we're going through education, I think there needs to be more of an emphasis on the self-care of the practitioner and helping instill in us a real strong sense of worth. Yeah, absolutely. Dietitians go through a lot of education, a lot of work to get there, and they deserve to realize what they've gone through and should be compensated fairly for it. Absolutely. And I think that's not the message that you hear a lot of the times. There's even kind of the, the sense that like, oh, you should be honored to work for free for a year is kind of the, at least the, the cultural message within the community is the idea that, oh, you're so lucky to work 40 hours for a company that makes money where you don't make money. Well, well not even that you're working for free. You're paying them. I don't know about Actually, it. yeah, that's actually, no, it's the same here. 
we pay a tuition to work 40 hours. Um, and again, I, I do kind of understand the politics and the bureaucracy that went into the development of the situation that we're in. But I think we're at a pivotal moment where we really need to rethink what impact that's having on us as healthcare practitioners, what impact it's having on the profession and how that's trickling down and impacting our clients and patients and community. I, I think uh, me and my friends actually did the math on if you like, what do you make as a dietetic intern? I think we figured out that it's negative $4 an hour. That, that, that every, would, yep. every hour you work is $4 out of your paycheck is essentially what we figured out when you include like the tuition costs plus the amount of hours worked, which is yep. just such a sad way of looking at it. But it unfortunately is the realization that happens for sure. And it's hard work. It's definitely not just like, oh, we're just like photocopying. Or it's like, you know, you're doing projects, you're doing presentations in hospitals. Like it's not a, the dietetic internship is not like just coast through and, no. you know, get your certification at the end. It's definitely quite a struggle for being free work. Absolutely. And with all that being said, there is a lot of negativity in the field and resentment because of the way that it's structured. And I just want us as dietitians and students to start channeling that into something more positive. So instead of feeling bitter about it, which is valid, um, you can let yourself feel that bitterness and resentment for a bit, but how can you then use that to start changing it, shifting things, trying to find a way to use it to your advantage? Like what do we need to do to make things better for the future generation of dietitians? Yeah, I think that's the best way of looking at it. I do agree that I think it's difficult to look through it that way, but I think that would be the better perspective. Let's talk about kind of, you know, now that we've gone over the internship and the education, let's talk a little bit about kind of getting that first entry-level job. How would a dietitian find one if they're looking for one and what's kind of the barriers that happen there? So you have your internship, you're certified in whatever province, state, country you happen to be certified in. Like what's the next appropriate level? Well, I will pause and say kind of the, the big sure. step between those two is the exam itself. I don't know how big of a role that plays in kind of Canadian dietetic culture, but the exam is the elephant in the room for American dietetics. Oh, okay. So that part tends to, it's expensive, which is also just additional money. Okay. But it is not, the internship is the big barrier in okay. Canada. The exam, from what I remember has a pretty high acceptance rate. So you have to pay okay. for it. And I think it's like $1,400 to pay for Like it's a very expensive exam, but it is not like the acceptance rate of that is less, so less that's, worrisome. Yeah, that's becoming an issue in the United States, especially in the past year or year and a half or so, um, maybe two years. There is apparently there's been a change in the exam. They're not very open about communicating it um, but there has been an increase in fail rate with it and multiple dietetic students and you know intern graduates who are having to take it multiple multiple times before they pass okay so that's definitely not as common of a problem here but yeah. so that's so that's like an additional barrier on top of that it is why do you why do you think that fail stress. rate has increased, has increased. I don't know 100% because I'm personally so far removed from taking the exam. The exam that I took six years ago is not the exam 
that doesn't apply to your circumstance. Yeah. But um, I will say that I know that when I took the exam, one of the big things about the structure of it was I could skip a question. So if I wasn't confident about the answer to a question, I could skip it. So you get a bank of, I don't know how many questions, say it's 150 and you only have to answer maybe 100 or 130 correctly. But if you answer it incorrectly, it's going to count against you. So if I was unsure, I just skipped it. And I would hope that another question in the bank, I would feel more confident about. And I wouldn't have to go back to that question that I was that I had skipped. So so miss, so getting a question wrong was not you didn't get that point. Question wrong was minus one to your total. Yeah. So if you if I answered it incorrectly, that would negatively impact my ability to pass the exam. But if I skipped it, there was a chance that I would answer enough enough other questions correctly that I would never have to go back to that one question that I wasn't sure. Oh, okay. And so that's the test taking strategy that I had. If I wasn't confident about it, I skipped it and I went back to it at the end to try and get as many confident answers as I could. You can't do that anymore. Once you go past that question, you don't go back to it. So you have to answer everything in the sequential order that it's given to you. And that definitely changes your ability to, to feel good and confident about the exam. Yeah. And also kind of forces you like, if you don't know a question, you almost have to like put something down and just be you like, do. well, I hope this is kind of right. And then throw it yeah. down there as well. So that's a big barrier I wasn't aware about actually for the yeah. American system. And again, like I don't want to scare people. I have known plenty of dietitians who recently within the past year or two have passed on their first attempt, but I also know some that have taken it five times and so if you have taken it multiple times and you're starting to beat yourself up or get down on yourself, just remind yourself that this isn't a reflection of your ability to be a dietitian. I have known dietetics kind of graduates, RD2Bs, so to speak, who have jobs as dietitians. They're just waiting to pass the exam and they are phenomenal at their jobs. And the exam is just not accurately reflecting their abilities for whatever reason. Okay. That's great to know, actually. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. Um, that first job, is there any barriers towards getting that first job or is that a relatively easier process to do? I think it really depends on what your criteria are for looking. I know that for me, it took me about six months after getting, finishing my internship to get my job. Um, and I think that that's pretty standard. It depends if you want to go into clinical, there are a lot more openings, but there are also plenty of openings in the community setting, in food service and kind of non-traditional jobs as well. Okay. So it kind of depends on the it field. It depends on what you're looking for. It depends on if you are kind of limited to a specific area of dietetics, if you're limited to a certain geographic reason, region, um, if for whatever reason, you're limited to accepting a certain salary. Maybe you're at a different stage in your life where you have to be more budget conscious and that's a bigger concern for you. It, it just flexes and depends. Sure. Fair enough. Let's kind of go into like uh, definitely what I noticed in the educational process with my fellow classmates, but also what I've heard has also been the concern in the field is really perfectionist syndrome. Yeah. Um, which for anybody who actually, why don't you explain kind of like what that is and how that pertains to the field? Sure. So I, I think that one of the big jokes that a lot of professors in my undergraduate would always say is that dietitians are like 90% type A perfectionists. 
And there is, you know, there's always the one dietitian or student in your class that doesn't fit that bill. But so many of us are kind of taught from a young age that our work ethic and our ambition is a good thing. And it is. Um, but because when we're young, we put all of this work and all of this effort into school and it's positively reinforced, we're then taught to keep up that habit and to continually strive for that perfectionism. But as we get further and further into our lives, the workload gets harder, the stress gets more diversified because we're not just suddenly worrying about you know, elementary school stuff. We're starting to integrate life stress into our workload. And it becomes something that we can't navigate and it starts to hold us back. For sure. And it def- so it really is one of those like trying to be good at literally everything. Yes. Yeah. And which, you know, is essentially impossible. Like it's one of those things that's there's always going to be something you're not good at. But that's a very tough yeah. thing for dietitians to to hear. Does that make it sense? Does. Is that kind of what I'm getting there? Yes. Right? There's yeah. also there's a lot of pressure when you're going through your education, because everything is so competitive, again, that perfectionism tends to get applauded and reinforced. So I've known schools that their, um, not their admissions counselor, their student advisors have sat down with students who don't have a really high GPA. So they don't have like a three, seven or something like that, or a three, five or above. And they, they try and talk them out of going into the field at all. They say you should change your major. You're not going to become a dietitian. You don't have what it means. Wow. Yeah. It's a big problem. And so when you hear those messages, it not only knocks down your confidence and, and makes you second guess everything that you think about yourself and what you want for your life, but it also teaches you that striving for perfection is what you have to do to get ahead. For sure. And it also really puts the value on your grades as well as a person, which I think is also, and I I would say like, this is very similar to what I experienced in school where I would say I was not that when you're talking about like the kid who's not the perfectionist, Mm -hmm. I would say that I was that kid. Um, So I kind of watched it from a side where I would be the person who would get a B and be like, all right. And then kind of like moved on. And then the other people who got an A, being upset that it wasn't an A+. Oh, no, I, I am 100% the student that before I worked on my confidence and my perspective and my stress, I was a completely different person in school. And I remember in physiology, I got a 92.9, which was an A-. minus. I missed it by 0.1%. And he told us at the beginning of the year that he didn't round. I cannot tell you no. how much I beat myself up about that and how much stress that 0.1% caused me. And now looking back on it 10 years later, how much it didn't matter at all. Yeah, the time it's devastating. It is. And to and that's so common among students. But I also want to emphasize to anyone who's listening, I have worked with nutrition students who have been told by their advisors that they should rethink their career path, that they're never going to be dietitians some that got C's in their classes and their sciences that didn't have really strong GPAs and they got their top choice internships. They are finishing up their internships. Now they're going on to become dietitians. So I, I just don't want your confidence to be shaken. If this is something that you want to do, there are ways to do it. 
For sure. And I think it's also like grades are not everything. No. It definitely feels like that. But grades are not, first of all, like definitely grades do not dictate whether you'll be good in the field or no. not. Uh, there's definitely other trades, which I would love to talk about and have like a more positive yes. note on this uh, podcast episode. <laughs> but definitely do not think that just because you don't score well on assignments or tests that you could not be a good dietitian, which I would love to kind of talk about and like kind of the traits that would make you a good dietitian. We should focus on that later. In the yes, call, absolutely. So. Because, and on a cheerier yes, note. Again, the, um, the big thing is that a lot of, there's a lot of concerns and criticisms and negativity about the field. And I don't want that to discourage anyone. I have talked to a lot of students and, and young dietitians who are rethinking their career paths because of the negativity that kind of seasoned dietitians are putting out. And I don't want that to happen. If there is negativity, I want to use it as a springboard for making change. And what do we need to do moving forward? So it's not a bad thing. We're just having growing pains and we, we need to kind of work through those. For sure. I think that's a really good focus on as well. I'm going to bring up kind of an issue in Canada. And this is not um, an issue that like is by any specific person, but I actually looked up this stat. The Dietitians of Canada does like a, they survey a lot of dietitians and figure out what the biggest concerns are. And the biggest one that always comes up is wage Okay. Uh, every year. And that's kind of the issue is that there's a lot of schooling. A lot of them have masters now. There's a lot of education and that the wage dietitians believe do not directly correlate with what they think they deserve. Yes. yes that's a, is that also, yeah, it's a, that's a big, thing big well. pain point in the United States. And it's a big reason why a lot of seasoned dietitians are, telling younger dietitians or students to rethink their path because they're they're sending out the message that you can't make money as a dietitian and so therefore it's not worth it and this like really gets like, to me when i hear it for sure tell, tell me more about so it. the first thing that i want everyone to recognize is that nobody goes into becoming a dietitian in order to be a millionaire we can talk about the wages and the fairness and all of that you know, in a minute, I completely think it's valid. But at its core, why did you go into studying nutrition? Why did you become a dietitian? And it's not to make money. It's be most of the time, it's because you've had a personal experience with health, or your relationship with food, whether it's you or your family member, or a close friend, and it's impacted you so profoundly that you want to help other people so that they don't suffer the way that you did or your friend did or your family member did. Yeah, you, you came in for a passionate reason. I think that's a really good point to make about dietitians, that they are very passionate yes. about their, their career in that like they chose this for a reason and that it was not because of, you know, like they were going to be a millionaire like you yeah, were saying. Yeah, and I just don't want anyone to lose sight of that because, again, we have growing pains that we're experiencing with dietetics. And I, I just, I think that we become dietitians for deeper reasons than just money. Now, to be fair, we still have rent to pay, mortgages to pay, families to support. Money is important, but I, I know that there's a higher purpose for you doing what you're doing. And I don't want you to forget about that. For sure. Yeah. I want to also make a comment kind of on the other note of that on like where you're definitely making a sense that like money is not everything. My concern is always, and I've seen this in the dietetic community, uh, specifically with people internships as well, but people who kind of decide the wages for dietitians 
is that they play that card almost for the reason on why you don't get more money mm. is that because you're in a field that is because you, sh- you should be doing it for the passion. Like, why do you need that raise when you can, you know, you're living your dream job or like you're, you're fulfilling such a higher purpose beyond money. And, that's, and that's definitely I'm, I'm different. Re- yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to be clear that like, yes, like money is not everything. It's important. But also it's still important. <laughs> yeah. It's still like, it's not like, um, especially, and I want to point out as well, I actually did this in the program and people were not thrilled about this. This is probably got the most immediate backlash. Full disclosure, my last year of university, I just went, I realized I wasn't going to be a dietitian. I just went full, full tilt on comments and it was an interesting time. Now, uh, one of the things that I was mentioning as well is that I actually looked into the difference in wages from a master's student to a bachelor's mm-hmm. student. Uh, and on average, a dietitian master's makes a, about 180 more per hour than a bachelor's student dietitian. Okay. I, which I, is... They just came out with ours. I believe that it's about $3 more. Okay. So it's gotten better, which is good. It was like $1.80. I believe this is 2017 data. I want to okay. say um, I can I can verify that. But I thought that was interesting because I kind of talked about you know I, I I actually did the math in the class, which again got more backlash. But it was kind of the talk about you know you're going to add an extra two years of school mm-hmm. on top of so what university tuition costs to make a dollar eighty more an hour, or I guess we can do three dollars now. At the time. Basically, what I pointed out is that to further your education in a master's, it will take you, I think it was five years of working as a full-time dietitian to remake that money that you invested into becoming a master's. Yes, it's about five to 10 years. So, which is something noteworthy as well, is that like kind of the idea is that, you know, you have student debt or you want to pay that off as quickly as possible, right? Yeah. So it's the idea if you're adding two more years of school, well, that just is going to add even more years to paying it off. And the this doesn't apply to kind of new students who are going to be coming in and the master's will be required. But the best piece of advice I got from my advisor when I was an undergraduate was don't pursue your master's right away. So if you're a new dietitian in the field and you don't have your master's, resist the pressure. And I have a post coming out about this. By the time this airs, it'll already be out. But next week I have a post going up on Instagram, I know on Instagram about the pressure that we face to get your master's right away. But the thing is, is you don't necessarily know what you want to specialize in when you're coming out of school. You don't necessarily know what direction your, your career is going to take. And you also, you know, you've been in school, there are a lot of places that will help fund your graduate studies, if you get a, a job as a dietitian. So there are a lot of benefits to getting out there in the field, gaining experience, getting your feet wet and figuring out where you want to go from there. So I don't have my master's yet. I am looking into pursuing it now because I feel like six years in, I have a very solid understanding of where I want my career to be going and what skills I need to add on to my bachelor's in order to get there. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because I definitely have some friends who, especially at the end of the degree, where they're like, well, I don't know anything. Again, we go back to like, I don't feel like I'm ready. Yeah. So the obvious next choice, I think for a lot of them is to do a master's. It's, like that's kind of the, kind of, is like, so they do it. So they do it immediately. And I have friends doing it immediately. Now. It is. And look, I get it because you get it out of the way and that's nice, but it's almost more of the 
perfectionism coming out where you're procrastinating, putting yourself out into the real world and being imperfect at what you're doing. And you kind of just say like, well, let me just get a little bit more certification. Let me get a little bit more of credentials behind my, my background. Let me feel like I can assert my, my expertise with more clout, if that makes sense, before I put myself out there. And sometimes you just have to get out there and do it before you feel ready. Yeah, you got to take that yeah. leap. Absolutely. You know, you've been educating yourself and it's great. And I think, you know, I also want to put this on kind of a more positive note on like for people who are in the dietetic field who have these problems with perfectionism and maybe, you know, their wage issues and things like that. I would love for you to talk more about on a positive note, how to overcome some of these problems we've talked about. And this can be about the education. This can be about uh, while you, when you're in the field itself, um, if you have ideas about the internship on how to make it paid or how to make it more livable, sure. I would love to hear that as well. Um, that was a very large question. So why don't you take whatever part of that you feel is the best? Sure. Option. So um, we can kind of start through the education process. So if you're in the student realm, get involved uh, with your local organizations and be a voice for change and start talking about these things. The more I know that we talked about like being all talk and no action as an issue, but talking is an important first step. And I think that as professionals, we can also look at the internship and maybe consider moving more towards a model like the therapist where you kind of get out in the field and you're an associate dietitian working underneath the dietitian, getting paid a smaller amount than you would be as a licensed dietitian but getting the hours that you need for your internship to be able to become an independent practitioner. I think that that would greatly improve the stress that's put on our students financially. Then, and also give them the idea of whether this is for them, course. right? Because I think a lot of people go into dietetics thinking that it's, you know, just straight nutritional counseling. Of course. And the field is so much broader than that, that maybe, maybe you get the experience and realize this isn't for you, but you realize that sooner than your first dietitian And job. you don't have to go through the stress of the exam or everything and completing everything before you realize that you might get a stronger idea of where you want to be, which is important. Yeah. Or you become passionate about it. Maybe that all those stressors that exist become worth it because you know that you're getting the job at the end that you want. Exactly. Absolutely. And then in terms of once you're in the field, we'll stick with the financial stress for the first part of this. Um, if you feel like you're not getting a wage that is fair to you, speak up. Um, I teach my dietitian clients how to be more assertive and confident, especially with their employers, so that they can have annual reviews and go in and ask for what they think that they're worth. I always said I, with my employer at my day job, I was getting easy yeses for everything that I was asking for. And do you know what that means? It means that I wasn't asking for enough. You don't know that you yeah. need to find out where that no threshold is. When you start hearing no, you know that you either need to rework your approach because how you ask matters, or maybe you've reached the limit and you're finally asking for, you know, enough. So you, you always ask for more than you think you're going to get so that it comes down to something in the middle of where you want to be and where your employer wants you to be. And so for, I think that's, I think that's great for like all career advice, course. but definitely for dietetics as well. Okay. And I think it's also like, if you don't complain, it isn't a problem. Yes. Yes. And I think so like, like 
that's an important thing to mention. As a dietitian, I was kind of always just taught that, you know, the way that my annual raises worked would be, I would be handed a check and say, this is what you make now. And I would say, oh, thank you. Um, and I would feel great about it. And then I started. And you and your boss high five right. and then just like go from exactly. there. Yeah. And it's, it's all nice. And I will say that when I first had an annual review where I sat down and said, this is what I think I'm worth based on numbers. I had facts to back everything up. It was well thought out, well laid out. And there's a gap. How are we going to start closing this gap? And it was an uncomfortable conversation. And it made me second guess whether or not I should have had the conversation because I was never taught to be assertive and sit with that discomfort. And in the end, I wound up getting exactly what I was hoping for. So I reached higher than I wanted to, and it came down to exactly where I wanted it to be. Um, so I, I teach my clients to do that too, to how to have those hard conversations, how to sit with the discomfort of being assertive and not being used to that feeling. And yeah, I think that's super valuable. So I go, yeah, on. go ahead. So it mostly it's just if you feel like you're not getting paid enough, let's start advocating for ourselves and seeing it what more we can get. A lot of times we're not getting paid enough because we're not asking for more. And I would say as well as like the ability to overcome that. Like when you're talking about like, well, what do I do need to get a raise or get make more money in the field? Because that is a common concern definitely choosing to be in that uncomfortable circumstance mm -hmm. could make you thousands of dollars. Of course. Of course. Uh, like, like that's the big choose. Choosing not to could cost you thousands of dollars is another way of looking at it. It's like, well, I don't want to have the uncomfortable conversation, but it's also like, well, then you're not getting the raise because it's never brought up. It's the same thing. So your boss is like, clearly it's fine. Yeah. It's the same thing that we talk about with any kind of behavior change with our clients. If you sit in your comfort zone, you're going to stay in your comfort zone. The only way you grow is to get uncomfortable. Which is tough. Yep. Really hard. And that, like we're that's why like, there are proven techniques that you can use to practice. You can rehearse it. Um, coaches are really important for that to help you feel more ready. You'll never feel 100% ready. I had it like refer rehearsed in my head when I went to do it. And when it came out, it was not as smooth. It was not as like fantastic, but I still got the point across. I stuck with it and I still wound up getting what I was looking for. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. I think also coming in with quantified results is also really yes. valuable in terms of like, like why you should get a raise as well. And I think it's also like, if you have the conversation and they say no, find out why yes. I think is also very, what is the thing that you're missing because then it almost gives you a roadmap to getting that raise. Absolutely. Or it gives you a reasoning on why it might never happen, which is also just as valuable. And Maybe they go to you and they're like, well, there's not money in the budget for that. Or you'll get some kind of answer like, uh, we don't do raises here, which I have heard. Yes. Um, and then you know you're better off somewhere else. Well, it also might help you recognize whether where you are is where you want to be. And do you see a future with this company? Because they might say, yes, we'll give you more money. But in order, but that level of pay is going to equate to this type of job description. And that might mean giving up some things that you're passionate about. It just, it helps open your eyes to what you want to be doing and what you don't want to be doing and what kind of pay you'll accept to get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that is 
an amazing way of looking at it for sure. And let's talk a little about the perfectionist syndrome yes. as well and how to kind of overcome that. Obviously, this is individual. Of course. No one should take this as like direct prescription, but I would love to hear kind of like what tactics you have used to overcome perfectionist syndrome in dietitians. So a lot of it is honestly the power of, I can't say talk therapy because I'm not a therapist, but having someone who is validating your experiences and listening to you because sometimes just talking it out helps you recognize when a thought that you're having is holding you back. But I do very specific worksheets and techniques with my dietitian clients to help them develop resilience. So basically, the way that you get over perfectionism is by failing and failing repeatedly and recognizing that you continue to move forward, that failing is not actually that big of a deal. That's a good way of looking. Yeah, failing is very temporary. Yes. That's a very good way of looking at it for sure. And if you don't fail, um, tell us a sorry, if you don't fail, you don't grow. So you you actually learn as you get better at challenging your perfectionism to seek out opportunities to fail. It never feels comfortable. You're never like, oh, I'm so excited for this to fail. But I can't wait I know, to fail like, today. This is yeah, great. But when you do it, you stop getting kind of hung up on the failure itself and you start to get hardwired to think about where am I going now? How is this going to be a springboard for something better? Absolutely. I would love before we end the call, I would love to talk about your program specifically sure. because I think it is very underrated for dietitians and I think is a very valuable, like just kind of knowing you for a while now, knowing like, oh my God, I have so many friends who could use yeah. this. Uh, but I would love, just tell us a little, instead of me just like fangirling <laughs> over your program here, why don't you tell us a little bit what, it, what it's about? Uh, so it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching program for dietitians, specifically for newer dietitians, kind of three years of experience or less, though I will say that most dietitians at, at all levels can experience perfectionism and stress. So it's for dietitians that feel insecure in their ability to achieve the goals that they want for themselves. Um, I do specifically work a lot with intuitive eating dietitians or dietitians who want to be intuitive eating dietitians, but feel like they didn't get the training in undergraduate. And what we do during the program is we walk through a three-step framework that helps you manage your time more effectively so that you're not overscheduled, burnt out, so that you have the energy to split your time between your ambitious goals as a dietitian and your personal goals as a human being. Um, we also then move into work on your self-care. And the way I explain this to my clients is that it's not just about helping you take care of yourself, which is really important, um, but it's also about giving you tools to talk to your clients about taking care of themselves. So a lot of the work that I do in the early stages is helping you walk the walk and talk the talk so that you can pass those skills onto your clients um, if you're counseling them who are struggling with stress and time management, and those things are getting in the way of them achieving their nutrition goals. And then yeah. we go ahead. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was, that was great. That was all awesome. I was going to say as well, like these are really the skills that one make you will make you indirectly successful in your career and also make you enjoy the field more. Like you, you do mention that there's a lot of negativity in the field and that these are all things that if they were addressed properly would make you feel more excited about being a dietitian yes. or that's less of a, you know, uh, I'm going to use the word burden. 
it is on your set on and I think like but th- this is kind of the stuff like this is why I get excited because <laughs> I have so many friends who I think like go through this like insane burnout and this insane amount of stress well, so, and also yeah so burnout is generally what happens when you feel undervalued and a lot of dietitians feel undervalued so the first few steps of the program are really to help you shed that stress and understand your worth and it builds up organically to the end where we really start diving into assertiveness and confidence and counseling techniques and things that are higher level and by the time you get there you feel naturally ready to take them on because we've already laid down the foundation yeah absolutely and it again like it just makes you feel like you enjoy you're going to enjoy your job more. You'll enjoy the field more. You'll probably be more successful because you're not getting burnt out and stressed. Yes. You can learn how to have those uncomfortable conversations. Like this is why I got really excited about the program when I heard. Yeah. This. It's, it's all about and... mindset because we have so many coaches out there for dietitians to help them with their business, to help them with their speaking skills. And we need those coaches too. They're very important, but I just felt like there was a gap where we're teaching our dietetic students to be overworking like overburdened, stressed out machines, and it's carrying into their careers. And I want to show dietitians that there is a different way. You can achieve your goals and you can be ambitious without burning out and without feeling stressed out and still loving your job. You don't have to give up your own health for the health of others. No, and in fact, we how often do you tell this to your clients? You have to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. We tell this to our like moms who come to see us. We tell this to everyone who comes to us for nutrition advice. We have to practice it too. We have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves holistically if we want to have any energy to give to the people we serve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that starts with you. And I think if you can't, you know, practice what you preach, then it becomes a very difficult becomes a difficult field because it is hard. It is a hardworking field. And I, I have a lot of friends who I think are amazing and are super hardworking and are going to do amazing in the field. But I almost have more faith in them than they do. Yes. Like, and I think, which is unfortunate, which is why this program's amazing. Thank you. Uh, so I think this is definitely one of those things. Where can they find you? And if they want to learn more about the program, how would they do that? Uh, so I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me at, at empowering.dietitians. And I post all the time about the different things in my program. So if you go through my posts and you say like, yes, this is hitting home, that's what my program is all about. Um, and then you can also go to empoweringdietitians.com. I have an email newsletter where I send out like once a month, I talk about different things that you can focus on, different things that I've been thinking about and learning um, throughout the month. And so you can kind of get a little bit more there and you can also learn more about the program itself. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Of course. No, thank you so much for having me and to all the dietitians, the dietetic students out there, just know that think about how you can channel that frustration that you might be feeling into something positive because you are in such an incredible field, no matter what anyone tries to tell you being a dietitian, has so much opportunity, especially in the day and age that we're living in. So like, keep on keeping on. You've got what it takes. All right. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you.